about moving back to Arizona. I've thought about moving back to New Me- uh, moving to New Mexico. I've never lived in New Mexico, but I've always wanted to. Yeah. And I just can't seem to get myself. Well, I have a house. I don't know what I want to do with the house. It's been like a big drama for the last two years. I'm like, keep the house, sell the house, keep the house. So I was looking at apartments, and literally, I cannot afford an apartment because it costs more than my mortgage to rent a two-bedroom apartment. Oh, that's ridiculous. There's so much. Like, ridi- there's so many. What am I going to do with all my crap? Yeah. <laughs> there's so oh. much ridiculous stuff going on in the world that it's yeah. ridiculous. And I think maybe, maybe that's why I'm doing much more reading. Actually, let's mm, maybe you know, going into the going into the to the conversation that we're here to have about books and magical realism and how it kind of filters into our lives and why we love reading and that kind of stuff that's basically what the conversation's about so hi everyone this is a special Belgarian and beyond episode my name's Sandra Turnbull I'm from the goddess kindled universe and I am a spiritual director author meditation guide all that kind of stuff and I'm here with my good friend Mary Sexton who is a prolific reader and um I will let would you like to introduce yourself or shall we just you know sure um I'm an aspiring author uh I write a lot I don't finish a lot I'm really good at starting the novel and then not ending it so I've been writing super super short stories micro stories like maybe three pages long. Sometimes they're only one or two pages long because I enjoy, I'm beginning to enjoy taking that little piece of time and just doing a little quick piece. Um, I am currently working two jobs, which is kind of crazy for me. And that's about what I'm doing right now. I'm, I work and I read and that's about it. <laughs> and when Mary says she reads, she I, I read the whole Bulgariad series in the last two weeks. I read <laughs> yeah, so, all of them. <laughs> so we're having this. I love that we're having a, uh, this this conversation, and Mary's just like totally new to the Bulgariad, and I just love that. So we get nice fresh it, fresh um, um, responses and reactions uh, from her experience of reading the series. So what do you think of it? I've really enjoyed it, although I have to say, now that I've read it, I realized why I didn't read it in the first place. I found the introductions where they talk about the legendary mythical stuff, I found those really hard to get through. Yes. Um, I'd be like, oh, now I have to read this thing again. And it feels like it kills the entire momentum from book to book for me. Yeah, okay. Um, and I, I was tempted to skip them, but I'm a completist, so I have to. I have a very hard time putting down a book that I even very much dislike. I have a hard time doing that. And if it's for like a book club, or I'm doing like books on a list, I read it anyway, even if I don't enjoy it. And that yeah. I'm trying to break myself of that habit, but it's really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend in Washington State who once told me that she was very frustrated as a young reader having to read a book about baseball. And I'm like, why did you have to read a book about baseball? She goes, I thought I had to read all of the books in alphabetical order. (gasps) So she started with the first book on the shelf and was just going through the books in alphabetical order. That's precious. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't very happy about the baseball book though. So that, that was a Isn't problem. Isn't it interesting how we <laughs> make it is, up I think these it is rules perfect. like that? That's just a little snapshot from this yes. friend of yours, the way that we make up rules for the world around us and how we're going to manage our lives, you know? Well, I often feel that way when I'm faced with a list of books. I'm like, okay, so like just recently the CBC, which is the Canadian broadcast, uh, the equivalent of NPR in the United States, for people who don't know what it is, they put out a book list every year called Canada Reads. And usually the long list is 15 books, and then there's a short list of five, and then they have a big debate, which is very much like Survivor, where they vote books off the island. So they're like, oh, well, we like <laughs> this book better than this book, and this book better than this book. And then they debate until they have one book that wins the award uh-huh. for that year. And um, I read the long list. I'm a very determined reader of the long list, even though sometimes it takes me half a year just to put my hands on the books. Um, 
but I was still, and, and I do that before I watch the debates, no matter when the debates happen. They were very late this year. But I read all of the books and I read them all, even if I don't like them. So when I'm starting them and I'm like, oh my God, I hate this book. Like one of the ones that was very, very, uh, very much a big favorite for a lot of people was called Small Game Hunting at the Local Cowards Club. Hated that book. Oh my God. I could see the author replaying her experiences of living from, moving from a small town in the middle of nowhere, Canada to moving to like Ontario, or I think she either lives in Ontario, Toronto, maybe. Uh, maybe she lives in Montreal. She lives in a much bigger city now. And it was like all the hatred of her small town rolled up into this novel with a weird dialect thing that is common to the area where she wrote the book, where she placed the book. But most people struggled with the dialogue. And everyone's like, oh, this is my favorite book. And everyone loved it or hated it. There was no in between. There was no people who went, nah, it was okay. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh my God, this is the worst book I've ever written. Or, oh my God, this is the best book I've ever written. Oh, I've ever wow. read. So, you know, and you do make up rules. Like I said, I read the whole long list. So when I get to the short list, a lot of times my favorite books aren't in the short list. And that yeah. frustrates me immensely. So I'm like, oh no, Rage of Dragons is a much better book. Don't read that. Read this other book. It's much better, you know. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, you do make up rules. And I just think, how do you think they judge the what's better and what's not? That's a good question. There's a theme they're supposed to judge against. And my problem with the theme is it's hard to judge fiction against the themes they choose. Like this year, it was one book everyone in Canada should read, or usually it's someone, something along those lines. You know, one book every Canadian can read, or one book that encompasses the Canadian experience. Or, you know, and really, I think what it comes down to, it's a combination of popularity contest and the skill of the debaters, the ability of the debaters to move someone else. Um, I've watched several where they got extremely heated. Um, uh, They do, they get extremely heated. Like uh, Tom O'Pentaget, which I don't know if you know him, he's on Battlestar Galactica. He's an actor, he's in Supernatural. He's been in a lot of space stuff. What character does he play in Supernatural? Uh, he played, well, first he was Ezekiel, then he was, wow, I just went blank. Oh, well, he, he, he was an angel. He was playing Ezekiel. the angel that he was Sam. The one. Okay, but yeah. he wasn't actually Ezekiel. He spoke really weirdly. Yes, because he was an angel. Is that he right? Was also in, he was, yeah, he was also in Dollhouse. He played the detective in Dollhouse that was trying to find the girl that was missing, Caroline. I'm not saying that. Yeah, it, it, Dollhouse is an interesting story. It's kind of, I mix feelings about the premise, but it was an interesting story to watch. Okay, I have a question for you. Sure. So out of all the books you read, because mm-hmm. I have a very definite opinion about this particular thing, but out of all the books you read, what percentage of the content of all of it, like across the board, would you mm-hmm. say has a magical realism element? You know, magical realism as a genre has been pretty new to me in the last maybe five years. Um, I seek out, I even have, if you go on my Pinterest page, I even have books that are just lists of magical realism books. I'll put a link to the Pinterest page. Okay. And sometimes I, um, sometimes I argue myself with whether or not I think it's magical realism. Like the book Practical Magic. I love the movie Practical Magic. It's been my favorite for a really long time. I think I would put that book into magical realism, but I'm not sure everyone would because there are magical elements. But I think that's not the only thing that has to happen for magic realism to really work. Mm -hmm. Those magical elements have to be involved in the plot and moving the plot forward in some manner. Mm -hmm. I read this great book about this uh, woman who's a single mom and she runs a chocolate shop with her aunt. And they have different kinds of hot chocolate for different things. There's like a romance one. There's like one to help you sleep. There's Mm -hmm. one, you know, so all these different hot chocolates have different properties that they use. And it's something that they do deliberately to the hot chocolate. There's another series where uh, this woman owns a bakery and the ingredients that she puts into the bakery ingredients also do the same thing. They lift your mood, they help you sleep, you know, they help you with different kinds of problems. Um, So it's, it's interesting to see those two things blending together in a way that even makes sense to me. I'm like, wow, I could do that in my own kitchen. And 
this is my this is where I'm going with this. My own very definite opinion is that every single piece of creation, art, book, piece of writing is a work of magical realism because mm. of the way that we make our way through the world as people, as human beings, as spiritual beings, the way we make our ways through the world is magical. Yeah. <laughs> and so I am probably by myself. I, if I was to have a, you know, literary conversation with a snobby person who's not Mary, <laughs> they would tell me that I'm completely wrong. <laughs> Well, Mary is one of those people, too, who often thinks that a lot of classic literature is only classic because it's it's survived a long period of time, not because it's actually the best example oh, of no. literature from that time. It's the one that didn't get buried in the swamp and sink into oblivion. And you know why it didn't you know? get buried? Is it, It's because it was the popular stuff. It was the pulp yeah. fiction of their time. Yep. It was and the gothic romance or the cozy mysteries of their time. It's not exactly. some work of high freaking art. It's what the people loved to read. <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that shook me up when I started going to science fiction and fantasy conventions and listening to authors talk about their own work um, was the fact that I'd spent all my years in school saying, what did the author really mean? What was this really symbolic of? And the authors are like, <laughs> hell if I know. I mean, I was just writing a story. I don't No symbolism intended. I just wrote this you know, no, story. and see there, the symbolism is not intended, and that. But we still see it, and that is where the magical realism comes right. in and threads through to the reader. It's not intended. The person is walking through the world the way that they process, and and you know, putting the way they process things down on paper, and the magic is filtering through, and other and we the reader pick that up and see it in the way that we see it and take that in. And that becomes part of the way we walk through the world. Right. I, I had an, um, well, most people already know this, so I'm not going to be shy about it. Um, I was raped when I was in college. Right after that, I read this book called Adore. Uh, oh, man, I can't even remember what it's called now. Did you block it Adore out? Adore into Time. It was, written, it was written by Diana Duane. Okay. And there was a, po a portion of the book where the, the um, main character was struggling over an issue over death of another character. And I struggled through that with her. And that really helped me process my grief and trauma at that time, because I was just starting to get help at that point yep. through the crisis center. So I was still in this just weird, I think I was still probably in shock at yeah. that point. And I was moving, I was moving from the place I had been to a different place and there was a lot of other stuff going on for me, but this book helped me. It came at that right time. What's interesting is I went back to read the, I was door into the shadow. I went back to read the rest of the books in that series. I couldn't read them. Because you I didn't need to. Right. Because I'd already gotten what I needed out of that other book. You got the medicine. And yeah. So it's funny how sometimes things, I, I have a weird relationship with a book called Moonheart, which was written by Charles DeLint, who is, Probably one of my favorite magical realism authors. He writes some crazy stuff. Have I read that? Uh, well, when I read it, it takes place in Canada. Uh, in the beginning, anyway, it takes place in Canada. And there's all this mystical stuff. And he just wraps the mystical stuff right into the story as if it's not strange at all. And, and that, he's, he's done that for a very long time. Yeah. That's, and that's classic magical realism by definition. Yeah. But the book would always disappear on me. I'd read a section of the book there'd be something going on in my life and then the book would literally disappear i would leave it on the on my dresser and it would be gone i would search my entire room all of my books i couldn't find it i'd be I like that. how did how did i lose that book <laughs> three months that. later three months later i fall over it in my living um, in my bedroom on the floor and i'm like i know you weren't there last night when i went to bed and there it is going read me Look, now read me now and I'm i'd good. read the next section of the book and then lose it like that i've got to say <sighs> I believe in magic, people. If you're a listener of the show, you're up to this point in the seasons <laughs> and you're listening to an extra show, extra that's not actually about the, the Belgrade and Beyond books, you know that I believe in this shit. 
It happens. It's like things just <laughs> slip into another dimension and come back when you need them. They do. It's just exactly like that. And I think it. I thought that it was weird when it started happening, but realized that it was so much part of the book itself. It was just so in in line with the book story that that behavior made complete sense that the book would disappear. Yeah. I still own that book. I could not tell you where it is currently because I know it's not on any of the shelves I can see in this room and it's not on my bookshelf upstairs, but I have non-bookcases so that are filled with books. It could be. I actually own 12 bookcases. The Book of Moon. That's it could what be, I was but it's not what I can currently see from where I am. <laughs> So no, I, I haven't read books. that. I haven't read that one. I've, the one I was thinking of was called The Book of Moon. And I quite mm. enjoyed that. Delint um, is, is fabulous. He's a Canadian writer and he's pretty fabulous. Uh, the Blue Girl is probably one of my favorite ones that he wrote. I'm reading right now, I'm reading The Ivory and the Horn, which mm. is a series of short stories. And uh, I'm having mixed feelings about that particular book. Why? But that could be a reflection of my current mood. I, I want to read something that's light and funny, and I'm yeah. not. Okay, so, so that's a challenge. Let's, okay, so let's touch on, let's use this to go back and touch on, Belga on the Belgariad. So you remembered that you didn't continue reading them because those prologues are, mm -hmm. like, will windy and heavy and hard to get through, even though they're just a few pages. I think that that is absolutely true. Once I'd read them the first time, I skipped them every other time I read them. But this time I'm reading them through. Like I've been reading them for, I don't know what, 30 years. And um, now I enjoy it because I know where the Easter eggs are in the prologues. Right. And it tickles me. Right. Like, oh, well, because it's definitely right. foreshadowing. It's definitely it's all foreshadowing. So I I always say to people, read Def it. Definitely read it. There's stuff in there that gives you clues to what is going on. And I love that kind of stuff. That kind of uh, I'll put making the connections and like I'll read something in the book later on and then oh hang on a minute that was and then I'll go back and like oh yeah it was in the prologue. But so I understand. That that's why you don't, but you will come to love them if you ever read it again. But I'll probably read it again. I'm just not ready to read it again right this minute. Oh goodness, no! But um, maybe I would once, read maybe it once again. a year. I do it once every now. <clears throat> I used to do it once a year, probably, and now maybe once every three years or so, I'll pick it up and read it because it's just comforting and familiar now. I have writers that sometimes when I just can't think of anything else to read, I'll go back and reread. Like yeah. I read a lot of Patricia Briggs. I le read a lot of Laura K. Hamilton, who's very uh, controversial in some sections of the community as far as um, I love the first eight books very much. I liked book 10 and wish she had delved deeper into the Aztec religion because that was a really unique interesting experience okay. of her doing that but most of that book is not about the interaction she had with the Aztec culture which I thought was unfortunate there's a lot of interaction between some other characters in the book that have that come in and out over the have come in and out over the years because there's like I don't know 23 25 of those books now what, what style what, I what's read the, what's the... the first book is called Guilty Pleasures and I read it because my friend's boyfriend who lived in LA had, I don't know how he found the book, but he read the first one. He FedExed it to my friend, Tammy, and said, you have to read this book. Ooh. She read it and she said, Anita Blake is just like you. You need to read this book. Okay. And I read it and I'm like, these are great. So for like five years, he sent us, because LA would get the books before everybody else. LA and New York always get books, new releases first at that time that's not mm -hmm. true now but at that yeah. time it was true and he would fedex us the next book in the series when it came wow okay are they like yeah, vampire even... and yeah Is she's it... a vampire executioner she executes right. vampires who are bad vampires and it's because vampires it's a... now have legal rights right it's set in the modern like times people. and yes yeah. okay in fact, it's set in St. Louis, which is interesting. So I started reading them in Arizona. So when I moved here, 
And I'm basically much closer to where Laurel K. Hamilton actually lives. Yeah. Well, five hours across the state, but still much closer than Arizona. Um, it, it was really interesting to watch the changes over not only her writing style, she writes in a very slow style. She can write a 500 page book that only covers like three days. Wow. Cause there's just so much intricate detail as to what's happening. Right. Um, a lot of people consider it pornography. A lot of people don't like the sex. There's a lot of sex in her books. A lot of people don't like it. Um, the first like eight or nine books, it's a lot less. It gets more as time goes on. Uh-huh. Um, but then she kind of veered back from that a little bit in the last, maybe probably the last, starting with maybe book 18 or book 19. Is there a point to, to the sex or is it just like a, as a, the character interaction? Well, there is some point to it, but sometimes it feels like the whole thing is just, the whole book is just a sex romp and nothing else really happened. None of the other major points of the plot move forward. And that's frustrating for me. That's frustrating. Yeah. Like, if there's a point, I want things to have a, to have a point, even if I don't get the point right away, I want there to right. be one. And I don't, and I, this is something that I really don't like about classic literature too. I don't want to need, I don't want to need a list of characters to keep straight who's who. No. If each character is not unique enough for me to remember who they are, You're then they don't belong in job. the book. Yeah. 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 You don't, they don't belong in the book. And that's you know, absolutely true. They need to be just that, that they need to be distinct. But right, so, right. So, so out of all of the books that you've read, in your years wow that's a lot of books yeah I know so <laughs> how do you think that like does that influence you does that have an influence on how you live your life how you process the world oh absolutely absolutely I this last year a good example is last year Canada Reads one of the long list books was called Love Lives Here it's about a woman and her family trying to cope with their young child being transgendered and as the story unfolds it turns out that her husband is also transgendered so she has this huge moment of oh my god what does that actually mean are, are we going to stay married is this going to you know how is this going to work and she's extremely openly honest about the conversations not only that they had and how she tried to work things out in her own head but how they worked things through and the communication between the family members was great. And it's like, you know, there was a lot of what do you need? What can I do to support you? Fabulous book. It kills me that it didn't end up in the, um, in the uh, shortlist. top five. Yeah, it didn't end up on the shortlist. Just stuns me. I'm like, this is a fabulous book. There was another book about, um, it's, it comes at autism kind of sideways. The book is called Amphibian. It's about a young boy who's really interested in amphibians. And he goes on this crusade to save the class tree frog and try to put it back in the wild where it belongs and not in the tank in the classroom. And all the drama that happens because he wants to do this and everyone telling him that he's stupid and he's wrong and you know him struggling through it and the psychiatrist not being very helpful. And I'm like, wow, this is like half the people I know had this experience in school. Mm -hmm. where something was really important to them and none of the adults around them would stop to listen to what they were actually saying. Yeah. It was a great book. It was really well written. I'm not sure everyone would really embrace it the way I did, but it didn't make the short list either. So these two books, how, why are they, why were they mm -hmm. so important? Well, Love Lives Here, I think is really important to me because having come out as bisexual back in, in the dark ages, when you could still get beaten to death in the street for that. Yeah. And you had to be very careful about who you approached and how you approached them if you were interested in someone. Mm -hmm. That um, experience and watching my friends struggle with it, especially my male friends who were more likely to get beaten up than I was. Yeah. Because most men at that time just thought, oh, well, she's, you know, likes girls, but she likes guys too, so that's okay. But, um, and it doesn't matter to me. So... Or a lot of men think about lesbian women. Well, they just, you know, haven't met the right guy. That's just how they think about it. Well, I'm yeah. so impressive that why would they not want to be with me? Because, you know, I'm that awesome. It cracks me up almost as much as the who's the man in the relationship. Exactly. exactly. Neither of us, that's the point. Right, because if there was a man, there'd be a problem. I'm sorry. 
So to to be able to understand that and even wanting to work in a helping field and, um, you know, being a coach and now I work for a drug rehabilitation center, trying to be in a position where I can at least have empathy or have some understanding of what is going on behind the scenes to have a place to start, to have a way to make a connection as if you don't make that connection, you can't help someone. Yeah. And, you know, there has to be some way for them to trust you, which is hard because they're like, well, you don't know my life. And it's like, true, I don't know your life, but, you know, know, I've had moments where I felt out of place and where I, you know, felt completely out of my depth and didn't know what was going on and felt like a freak. I think everyone has those moments. It's just being able to tap them when you need them. And so all of the relationships that you read about fit Mm -hmm. into your ability to empathize. Right. And it also helps me with the warning signs too. When you see that, you see that guy coming who seems like all that in a bag of chips and he says the right thing every time. Well, I married that guy and he was a sociopath. So yeah, you have to, there's more going on on a lot of places. Sociopaths are hard because they're extremely good at saying the right thing. Do you think that it's hard to trip them up? Do you think that being a prolific reader or really, you know, when not necessarily a prolific reader perhaps but when we read we read more than the words on the page we sort of get into those like so being that kind of reader it's almost like study for life yeah absolutely because you're learning to see through other people's perspectives hmm. So, and if you do, you know, if you can do that often enough, you do see the thing coming towards you, don't you? It's like the team of rivals. Um, when Lincoln built his cabinet, he built people who would not necessarily agree with him. And the reason that he did that is, I, he is, I know I'm fallible. I know that I'm not always right. And if I have challenge and I can make my argument work against a group of very smart, intelligent people who don't believe the same way I do, then I'm onto something. Otherwise, maybe this isn't something we need to push at. That sounds, you know, and even then you're still going to make like mistakes. wisdom to me. It does to me too. I think I wish in the United States in the beginning, what would happen is when we had a presidential election is whoever won would be president and whoever came in second was vice president. Which there was sense. no election for vice president, but it gave you that extra voice of, I think that this is a different perspective than what you have. And sometimes, especially when you get moderates together, moderates have more in common. I think that's a much better way to do it. It just makes more sense. The person who comes in second is the vice, is the runner up. Right. Vice president. The thing about that is it also makes sure the president doesn't do anything stupid, like, you know, skydive off a cliff or some dumb thing like that, because then the other guy gets to be president and he doesn't Uh want that. So. (laughs) <laughs> but, but it has changed a lot. I think it went from a, a sense of noblesse oblige to a sense of, nah, 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 I won, you didn't, so I'm going to do whatever really I want because I won. Really and has. I'm like, wow, really? What are you, five? Take your yeah. crayons and go home. Go sit in the corner. Wear a dunce yeah. cap. I'm tired of you. Yeah, and that's so, so much of what's going on at the moment. How, are you, how do you use your reading now? Is it to get away from what most of society would call reality? Or is it like, do you find yourself reading in the same way that you used to for just relaxation? I do find myself reading more deliberately, um, but that's been probably the last three years I've been reading more deliberately. I've been more likely to read. I've never been a huge fan of literary fiction. Still not always a huge fan. I found some books that I liked, but it's not... I don't really embrace literary fiction that much because they they use a lot of things that I don't like. Like right now, the trend in literary fiction is, ooh, let's flash back to the past. Now, that's not necessarily a bad technique, but when every single book your book club is reading is doing it, then that's a problem. So I'm like, there should be more variety of storytelling than just, well, this thing happened. Oh, but it happened because 25 years ago, this other thing happened. And I'm like... There has to be a better way to weave that into the story. That's a bit clunky. Yeah, than making back and forth. Now, the one book that I thought was extremely interesting that does that is uh, Cloud Atlas because there are five stories in Cloud Atlas and the 
and the chapters alternate. It starts with the first story and ends with the first story. Then there's the second story and the second story, and then and then they're going together so that the two parts of the fifth story go right back to back. You know what? I like that's a really beautiful. That sounds really interesting, and it's like but, it's like the it's it really is the way that life fits together. Yeah. The, the problem I had with it is some of the sections were written in a writing style that I found extremely difficult to read. Like when I read Moby Dick, I was taking a creative writing class and I was reading Moby Dick in a different class. And I was talking to my creative writing professor about how frustrated I was with Moby Dick. He shook his head and he said, you know, if you read Moby Dick without throwing it against the wall at least three times, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> it is the worst book to try to read ever. I've never so, tried. Yeah, it has the world's longest sentence that's grammatically correct in English, but really, who cares? The story is boring. It takes forever. There's a lot of crap going on that you don't understand. Why the hell is it considered a classic? I've never read it, but, like, I've never wanted it's, to. It's like like Madame Bovary or uh, what's the other one? Oh, Middlemarch. I hated Middlemarch with a passion. I could not. Middlemarch was actually designed. Now, this is not George Eliot's fault. Middlemarch was designed to be two three book series what the publisher did was take the two three book series and alternate the chapters so you have like chapter one with 70 characters then chapter two with 70 different characters that makes no and chapter sense three with the first character so you've already forgotten about because you read the chapter in the middle which was about 70 other people that's it was, ridiculous it was horrible <laughs> It was horrible. Sorry. What's worse is I took it from a professor who did her uh, doctorate thesis on George Eliot. And did thought she like George it? Eliot, oh, she thought George Eliot hung the freaking moon. So <laughs> I almost failed that class, was told I needed to go to a grammar class because I was too stupid to write in English. Now, this is the same teacher that the semester before gave me an A-plus in her class and told me she'd give me a higher grade if she could have because of, a, of an essay I wrote about Manfred. But she didn't like the fact that you didn't like her little crush. Her little, yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, but I had had a teacher in the middle who's like, you can say anything you want about any piece of literature as long as you can support what you're saying from from the actual text. And I went with that. I took that rule and I went with it. I nearly failed out of college (laughs) because of it. But so you, your has your whole life been like this, sort of underpinned by reading literature yes and reading story yes and I think the reason why that was is because I was really an extraordinarily shy child and we moved constantly we moved every 18 to 36 months until I hit high school that's hard it's a lot when I was in when I was in first grade well when I was in yeah I went to kindergarten when we were in Turkey in Sherlock Turkey and then I went to first grade in Turkey, Ohio, and Arizona in the same year. Wow. So then I was, in, I was in Arizona till third grade. And in third grade, I went to school in Arizona and in Germany. So you got to know a lot of librarians. You know, I did. In fact, when I lived in, um, when I lived in Germany... Our school library was like in a probably six by eight room and the shelves only went like up to like waist high on me and I was a fourth grader. So, and I'm not very tall now. So they weren't very tall bookshelves. I literally read everything in the entire library because I, there wasn't enough reading material for me. I read so fast. Yeah. And that was before they taught me to speed read. So then I went to the base library, which was in this giant, like, mobile home like a trailer which had floor-to-ceiling bookshelves and I would come and I would leave with like these huge stacks of books and the guy's like she's not reading all those books my mother's like ask her when you she comes back and he would quiz me on the books I would take out to see if I'd read them Mm -hmm. and I was reading all of these adult books even then in fourth grade fifth grade fifth grade I learned to speed read so that that you know reading um um, adult fiction and mm-hmm. getting a, a perspective on how adults see view the world for adults right so early on with I mean and I wasn't as early as you but you know that that must have had an influence on you 
Oh, sure. I read Gorillas in the Mist in fifth grade. I read Jane Goodall's book in fifth grade. I, by then, I'd read everything Jacques Cousteau had ever written up to that point in time. So when, when I, I was in fifth, by the time I was in fifth grade, my question of, you know, how does the fictional, how do the fictional worlds and the magical realism of story, you know, affect your life? That that's a that's a pointless question for you because it just is my, the way that you live. Yeah, my whole life was living through books because I didn't, it felt to me as a child, every time I made a friend, we moved. So it became like, and for my mother, it was hanging things on the wall. I know we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Every time she put a nail in a wall, my dad would come home and say, pack, we're moving. So she literally just stopped putting things on the wall. So I have boxes and boxes of paintings and stuff that were my mother's that never hung on a wall because she didn't want to put them on the wall because then it, it seemed like those things were connected. I put it on the wall. Now we have to move. And that's a, so that's a story. That's a magical yeah. realism story right there. It is. It is. And it, and it felt like that as a child too. It's like every time I made a friend, especially one that I really enjoyed, yeah. you know, being around, we would move. Yeah. I think the hardest one for me was when I was in South Carolina. This is really weird. I, in fifth grade, I went to school on the military base. Um, after going to school in Ohio and Germany in that same year, actually it was Germany first, then Ohio, then South Carolina. <laughs> How do you so then we, then we've, I, well, it's hard. <laughs> um, then they, then we moved to off base because we were staying in a hotel looking for a place to live. We moved off base. So I went to school in the regular school district and not the military school. And I went there for sixth grade. Well, when we finally moved on to the military base, I ran into one my really close friend from fifth grade. She literally lived three houses down the street. That's so, so that exciting. was fabulous. I know. I was thrilled. Well, when I was 15, they got reassigned to England and went to England. That's the first time I was the person who wasn't moving. Yeah. It was always me being the one who was moving. How that was, was that the experience? First time when my friends moved away. It was horrible. It was really horrible. But um, was it different you know, to the other way around? Yes, because everywhere I went, it reminded me of stuff we did together. Yeah. Because everywhere we went, you know, even our school bus driver, who she had a huge crush on, you know, I couldn't even get on the school bus without it being a reminder that she, was, she wasn't there. So it was more of a – so do you think you grieved better being the one who stayed? Like oh, no. had that I'd much process. rather be the one who goes. But is that because I'd much rather be the one is that who because goes. you can just go, okay, that's that, and move on to the next thing, like shut a door and you don't actually get to go through that grieving process because maybe, but I think more it's more of you when you're moving somewhere else, you get a clean slate and yeah. you can behave differently, act differently, be yeah. a different person if you decide to do so. Do you I feel like usually Yeah. I, under, I totally understand that because that's always, my jam. That's my jam. Clean slate? Yes, give me one of them. And you're, and you're also trying to get re, um, Reorient yourself. readjusted to a new place. So now you have to find a grocery store, find a place to yeah. live, find a school, find it. You know, so there's all that. And my mother would always drag me around during that process. So I would be there for the whole house hunting thing. And so you, by the time I was looking to buy a house, I had tons of experience going yeah. into a, an empty space and visualizing what it could be So do because you I'd been done a, it so many uh, times. Uh, do you, did you, do you feel like whenever you moved, it was a completion or are there a whole lot of half open doors behind you? My mother was really a huge believer on you can't go back where you've been before. Okay. So so in that sense, it was a completion. It was like, yeah. okay, that's done. Now, it's interesting because I held on to some ties over the years, but very few. Um, my friend in first grade, Barbara, and I stayed friends. And when I moved back to Tucson when I was 15, we went to the same high school and we carpooled in college in high school. That's so great. But now no, I'm not talking college. about ties. We're all, you know, not ties, but like that feeling of, of, I'm done with that. You're like, okay, that's fine. I can move on to the next thing. That's okay. 
No, because I had no choice. I, I was not what? giving an option. I wasn't giving an option to move. I and mean, it was different when I left Arizona to go to Seattle. That was a choice I made. Yeah. And so there was completion for me there. I had to leave Arizona. I was over it. Was that, so, was that does that feel um, like a bigger deal than maybe, like, did that feel important that time that you got to choose? It felt important that I got to choose. It really did. And a lot of people tried to discourage me, especially, I mean, here I am, I'm moving with a 12 year old, hundred pound old English sheepdog into one of the most expensive housing markets in the United States. Um, I was paying 750 for rent and 725 a month for daycare on $20,000 a year in Jesus salary. Christ. So it writes right. a lot. We ate rice aroni a lot, yeah. It comes in a box, it was 10 for a buck. Yep. Or no, 10 for, it was 10 for five. So it was 50 cents a box. We ate yep. a lot of, I mean, it, we ate it at least two or three times a week. My daughter lived on um, chicken and rice soup, but that was her choice. She refused to eat anything else. In fact, my daycare director called me and she says, you got to send her something to eat besides chicken and rice soup. I'm like, she won't eat anything else. And She's like, well, I have a couple of cans of chicken and rice soup, so send her other stuff this week, and if I have to, I'll feed her chicken, chicken and rice soup. Fine. <laughs> so I sent her sandwiches. I sent, I sent rice aroni. I sent hot dogs that were all cut up. And she, at the end of the week, Jenny's like, your daughter is the most stubborn child on the face of the planet. I'm like, her pediatrician says let her do it. I said there was a year and a half she wouldn't eat anything but hot dogs. And then for 10 years, she wouldn't eat a hot dog. She's like, oh, that's gross. She would need a hot dog. Like you spent a year and a half eating nothing but hot dogs. When you were like a year and a half old, you wouldn't eat anything but hot dogs. So I had to do the whole slice all the hot dogs into fours and then chop them into little pieces so you didn't choke to death on you it. You are incredibly patient. It is, it, 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 no, no, no. My experience of you, you don't think you are. I understand that you don't think you are because of what's going on inside you. Like you do so much processing on the inside, but what mm, is, I see on the outside is someone who is so incredibly patient with everyone's bullshit. It's very admirable. Well, I'm hoping that I learned stuff over the years where I yeah. opened my mouth when it should have stayed you know, with my mouth shut. And I do a lot more stepping back and saying, you know what? If they want to live their life this way and this is what they want to put out into the world, I, I'm just yeah. going to do my best to stay as much out of it as I can because I just, whatever. Oh, so I I've could... been unfriending people quietly on the internet well while done. nobody's noticing. You know, well done. Just because, you know, I'm, you, know you, you complain and complain and people offer you all these solutions and you aren't willing to try any of them. You just want to complain. And that's, that's okay. That's okay. If you would just keep coming... Yeah, if you just keep coming to us with nothing but that over and over and poor me, poor me, poor me, and after a while you just get tired of it. You're like, if you're not willing to make any attempt at change. This is where you need to be until I don't know you what more I can do for you. Yeah. Right. As what can I do for you other than say, oh, poor baby, I'm sorry, when I don't feel that anymore because you've had lots of opportunities to try something different and lots of people willing to help you and you are not willing to help yourself. And that's frustrating. Yeah, I get to that point and I... I, I'm not what those people need anymore. I am not, I am, I am empathetic. I am compassionate. I'm loving. And I'm really good at holding that space for people who want to be, you know, in that space. And there are particular times when that's exactly what I do. You are here to be whatever you need to be. But like all the time, you can't live there, love. If you're going to live there, yeah. you're not going to be happy and you're never going to be happy and I'm not going to feed that. I will show you an example right. of, of, you know, what it feels like to maybe not be so afraid if I can. And that's totally coming from a point of view where I think that the way that I'm showing you is the right way for you. What do I know? I don't know what's right, right for you. You need to go and find your own way. And so that's where you sort of part, you know, you part ways because you don't need to invite that in all the time. I had a friend in college who was extremely self-aware and he was depressed over something. I don't remember what it was. And we were all trying to cheer him up. And he's like, stop. 
I just need to be depressed. I, I'm, I'll be fine next week. But right now I'm just going to wallow in my misery and leave me alone. <laughs> I totally so we did. get that. We left him alone and let him wallow in his misery. And next week he was fine. So it's like, okay. So and I just got to work it through. That is really important and it's really powerful. Like I'm not saying for a moment, don't feel what you're feeling. But a lot of the... <clears throat> poor me oh whoa oh whoa oh please save me save me that's not feeling what you're feeling that's avoiding mm-hmm. feeling what yeah. your child what your spirit is trying to help you feel so that you can and process it and move on to the next thing exactly exactly I think maybe some of my patients might come from the fact that I use books as a crutch for those times when I feel by myself. I mean, I have had big stretches where I felt extremely lonely. Like I want I you to reframe here, that. I was like that. I want you to reframe that right now. It's not a crutch. Crutch implies you are broken. Maybe a coping skill. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I wasn't broken, but I was very lonely. Yeah. Especially when I first moved here. I was working two jobs. Well, it took me first. It took me six months to find a job working retail when I moved here. Yeah, which was a twenty-eight thousand dollar pay cut for me, mm. and that was a big shock. And I got a retail job. I worked that for a few months, and then I had three job offers at the same time. And you've seen that happen just recently too. <laughs> yes. And I had three job offers at the same time. I took the one I liked the best, but I kept my retail job. I, so- I shifted to part time and kept my retail job. So for four years, I worked two jobs. Okay. Partly to pay off the move because the move was so expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, oh my God, I could talk to you all bloody day with no problem at all. (laughs) We could make this thing, we could make this into a whole separate podcast and just have weekly conversations about (laughs) stuff. Um, But we've been I'm on for it if you want to. (laughs) Well, I will put it on my list because it's, anyway, don't think I haven't thought about it, lady. <laughs> but anyway, so you've just read Belgarian and Beyond, about the Belgarian. Mm-hmm. Which part of the story or which character did you find yourself letting in the most or kind of remembering? Like, who's, who, what parts stand out to you? Or what, what, what about the story do you think stuck with you? Well, it's a classic, it's a classic fantasy story. And I love that. I love the whole setting. Um, One thing I used to say when I was in the Society for Creative Anachronism, when I was really active in the society, I read science fiction. When I wasn't active in the society, I read uh, high fantasy. Yeah. Um, So that's, so that's very connecting for me. I like the Malorian um, and the fact that he just lowers the lands and charges right in there completely fearless I love that in that character. I was honestly amazed he didn't get killed. Oh, Mandarallan. Yeah, in Mandarallan. And I was just so, um, and his sense of honor and noblesse oblige is something that really, really appeals to me. Um, I have an actor right now who I've been following probably a little, I've been tailgating probably a little too closely. But one of the things I love about this particular actor is the fact that he has this very deep rooted sense of noblesse oblige and he talked about he played superman and he talks about playing superman and how he even though he's not playing superman currently he thinks a lot in his life about um how can i be worthy of playing this role because i think he's a better person than i am and what do i need to change in my life to be better and i think it's those people who are always seeking to be better whether that's you know, I want to learn about this thing. Like I'm having frustrations with a software program that I'm using at my new job. So I've decided to dive in and become an expert in that particular software because it's giving me problems. And once I figure, once I understand it, it will be less frustrating for me because I'm like, why did that work that way? Because that's not what should have happened in my head. That's not how the logic of that program should have worked, but it works differently than how my head thinks. So you know, and that gives me something to occupy my free time with. So when I have moments that I'm not doing something, I can jump onto a 10 minute video, 15 minute video, two minute video, whatever fits in my schedule. 
and learn something, which pleases my sense of trying to learn something. Hmm. And so I love I love that you love Mandra Allen because I can totally see you <laughs> as that character. I actually and- play a character very similar to that character in one of the gaming things I play in. Her name oh. is Toonie. And she slid once between a raging elephant and our little tiny halfling uh, bard because she's a half orc and she's six foot seven. So she slid in between the two of them to take the hit for him because it would probably have crushed him. And Tuni is so much bigger, plus she has a shield. So she like took the elephant blast to the shield to try to keep him from getting squished so he could help the elephant handler. The elephant was actually possessed and the elephant handler screaming at us not to kill him because the elephant's possessed. And we're like, well, you know, unpossess him really fast because I can only hold him so long. Sweetheart, you <laughs> are man, you are Mandarin. Maybe, maybe, maybe I am. And well, I, I would like to be, I'd like to feel more fearless than I feel. You are I do fearless. jump into stuff. You are more fearless than you think you are. Oh, maybe. Maybe you you are. I see it. Just this conversation, this little tiny bit of conversation we've just had, you are more fearless than you think you are. And even the fact that you you come to a problem, you go, I need to know more about this so that I can understand it. I'll learn about it now. That That's part of Mandarin's story arc. He learns how to manage feeling afraid. Yeah, that's he does because he really has that moment of fear. But that's the thing about bravery that so many people don't understand. It's not about being recklessly fearless. It's about being afraid and standing the line anyway, knowing yeah. that you're going to die and standing the line anyway. You have you that's have courage. Drama of it. I oh. think I partially think it's because my father was military and he was always a great believer in my country, right or wrong. Yeah. It's like I pledged an oath to follow what they tell me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Oh, honey, I'm just so, so I think he wasn't as strong at that and as, you know, other parts of his life, but yeah, I, that's where that duty piece comes from that I struggle with all the time is what's duty mm. to myself versus mm. what's duty to everyone else. Because truthfully, when it comes to a disagreement between those mm. two things, everyone else is more important than I am as far yeah. as I'm concerned. So that's the, the noblesse oblige part, taking hell. care of everyone else. Well, darling listeners. I know we're out of time. Darling <laughs> listeners, we are out of time. If, <laughs> if this kind of conversation between Mary and I is something that you would like to see repeated, drop me a line at vulgariadandbeyond at gmail.com. Or get onto the Facebook page and drop me a message because I've just had such a great time. I would not mind at all. <laughs> me too. Me too. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a total pleasure. Is there anywhere that you, if people want to, I don't know, are you, are you doing your coaching? Is there anything that you would like to point people to? Is there anything that you think is important for people to find out about or know about? I'm, I'm in a position right now where I'm trying to figure out what my next step is for my coaching, mm-hmm. how I want to go onward next. And I'm watching the people around me. Some of the people are professional coaches inside the context of um, addiction recovery and anger management and watching how those systems work and how, how I can either use or not use some of the techniques that I see them using. Mm-hmm. Um, I do it sometimes with my boss, which she thinks is hilarious because she knows what I'm doing when I do it. But I'm like, and what are you getting out of, you know, letting this thing be an issue? And, you know, what can we do to alleviate that particular piece of pain for you? Because, you know, there are other people in this group besides you. You don't have to carry the entire load by yourself. That's the point of having two new people on your staff is to help you carry the extra stuff that you don't need to be bothered with. So your, your coaching is, is in action in your work every day. Right now it is. Yeah. And that's kind of cool for me because I'm like, wow, I get to, I get to do this with professionals who already do it. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to watch them whether, when they figure out what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the cl- the clinicians who are actually trained therapists are less likely to notice yeah. than coaches will. Isn't that because the coaches hear the echo of their own voices when I say it, that's and they're so like, "Interesting." Hey, wait a minute! Don't coach <laughs> I me. I saw what you did there. 
exactly. You know what we're going to do? I've just decided we're going to do some prophecy speaks. segment of Belgarian and Beyond called Prophecy Speaks. And essentially it's divination with a book instead of cards. Interesting. So I would like you to just grab a book, whatever book is lying nearest to you. Do you have something? I do not actually. All I have is like, um, I have work stuff. It's okay. I can read to you from the U.S. Census Enumerator. That's okay. A book. God. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. Just a book. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't actually have a book right next to me. I have a planner and a notebook on one side and two notebooks and my iPad on the other side. I suppose yeah. I could pull something out of my iPad. Yeah. Grab a digital book in there. that you can sort of run the um, page reader across and just stop on a page when we – that's how we'll do it. Okay, that works for me. So what we do is go, okay, this is my question, you know, like you do for a reading or any other kind of divination. So do you have anything that you would like some insight into or at the moment? Ooh, I do. How about next steps for my career? Because I know I'm not going to stay where I am right now. I will okay. stay there. I would like to stay there a year, but I have no long-term. Okay, so about staying where I am. next steps for your career. Hold that and slide your slider and read me what your eyes land on. He approached the local pack here for possible Lupa candidates. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not even sure it's Richard I would miss, which is interesting because that talks about relationships, not about work. <laughs> I have, a, I have a tarot deck that's like that. Have you ever read with a Throth tarot deck, Crowley's deck? No. It will tell you about whatever it wants to, no matter what you ask. It's been my experience. If you <laughs> want to talk about finances, it wants to talk about your love life. If you want to talk about your love life, it wants to talk about peanut butter. So you're just like, seriously? And, the, and you can almost hear him laughing at you in the background. And I'm like, well, come on. Let's see what next steps for your career are. So keep reading. Is that what yep. you're saying? Till we okay. get, till you get a bing. You can always find another boyfriend, but a new family, especially one this strange, is a rare gift. Okay. Okay. Stop. Think of okay. the people as the job. Hmm. I've been actually thinking about that a lot because I think there's that moment when you are going into a new job where you're thinking you've just met people and it's everybody's new and shiny and you're, and they're not under pressure. It's just like social at this point. Um, and everybody's in, on their honeymoon behavior. Mm-hmm. And then when you get in and the pressure comes down, then you get to really see how people behave mm-hmm. and it gives you an idea of what kind of people you want to work with and what kind of people you don't want to work with. And then how do you work with those people that you don't want to work with? Mm-hmm. becomes the the next thing I have one guy in my group who's an extremely poor communicator and this guy works as a coach and it terrifies me because he's such a poor communicator I'm like how can he do his job when he can't even he sends me something with no explanation as to what it is and then gets mad when I ask him questions so what is this telling you are the next steps for your career career for my career find a different group of people to work with I'm really, I'm really, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I need to turn coaching questions on him. I suppose I could do that. But that's what just, coaches do. They help people communicate who don't know how to communicate. That's true. That's true. Um, we also prefer to communicate in different ways. He'd rather talk to me on the phone. And since I'm the person who covers the phone, I don't want to be on the phone talking to him. I'm like, email me. Don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a struggle to the type of communication. But when I worked at NeighborWorks, I had someone who literally for the first five years I worked with her, anytime I needed to ask her for anything, I picked up the phone. Because mm-hmm. if I emailed it to her, it was a huge drama. Yeah. If so, there was any possible way she could take it wrong, she would, and then she'd flail in it. And I'm like, 
okay, first of all, breathe. That's not what yeah. I asked. <laughs> and I'm going to call you on the phone because it's easier for you. So this is, this is, sounds like, sounds like for him, opportunities for him and you. Hopefully that would, that would be good. I hope, I hope, because okay. if he could communicate more clearly, it feels like he feels like he has to pay $6 for every word he uses. So he tries to use as few as possible so he can save his money is how it feels to me on my okay. end. You know, when someone sends you a file, like an Excel file with no explanation of what it is, it has two names in it. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Why are you sending it to me? So what is this little bit of insight giving you to work with? Um, you know, if I think deeper about it and think about it more from his perspective, I have to wonder how he feels from his end. Mm -hmm. That he thinks that just by sending this spreadsheet with these two pieces of information in it that don't tell me anything, why sending that to me would be a good plan. He may have thought I had more training than I did because I've been there for three and a half weeks and my boss was out for a full week of that. Mm -hmm. So, And she doesn't have much time to train me on top of that because she's doing everything else. So there are more, so, more, there's more communication to be had. I'm thinking on both sides of this relationship. Yeah. My boss and I have a lot of conversations about what can we take off your plate? usually directed by me because I'm like, mm -hmm. you don't have to do everything. Tell me how to do this. If you show me how to do this, I don't, you don't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Keep going. So, you know, that's, that's part of it. Um, that trying to dig into, I don't want to say secret plans. I think they're probably plans like between the CEO and the COO, they're probably plans for where to take the business, but those don't necessarily get communicated to the team. No. And, and it's not necessarily bad. No, it's not. And I don't feel like they're keeping secrets deliberately. I think they have hopes for making this new better thing, but they're the funding environment right now for nonprofits is really poor. So everyone's getting cut back. People are delaying, they're getting their money from the government, but they're holding on to it before they disperse it. And that's causing a lot of budget problems for everybody else because they're used to getting their, you know, they get their award and then they get their money. Well, yeah. they got the award. The money hasn't come yet. Right. Because the feds haven't passed the money down. And until the feds right. pass the money down and, you know, leadership doesn't want to pass the money down. Right. So, so, so this is Plus about I'm a new industry. Yeah, it is about relationships. Plus I'm learning a new, entirely new industry. So that's been, that's been different in how to relate to those people and I think in the different, different the, organizations that we work with. Yeah. And there was something in there about, it felt like it was something about even when you move on, like it, it wasn't like you look back, mm -hmm. like in the little bit of text that you read, I can't remember it, you move on, but then you look back and something about Richard. Richard is one of the characters in the story. He's a werewolf. You can always find another boyfriend, but a new family, especially one this strange, is a rare gift. Okay, so you can always find another boyfriend. So if I'm looking at this, you can always find another place to work. Mm -hmm. But, ha you know, cultivating relationships where you are and having them work effectively is a gift. And right. that is true wherever you go. Exactly. It's like one of the reasons I took this job because it was a huge pay cut for me. One of the reasons I took this job was because there's stuff I want to learn yeah. about how the mental health industry works. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, where I've been go trying to go. Um, the CEO of the company wants to get me a peer to peer counseling certificate. Um, and he wants me to start doing some of the group stuff which hasn't happened yet, but will ha happen eventually. And that's fine because right now I'm still trying to figure out how all the paperwork works because that's my job is to make the paperwork work. So as you, so you're there chugging in the background, learning lots of new things, getting mm -hmm. some training. Yes, we like that. Yeah. Um, and so your careers, that sounds, the, the, little, the little reading that you did sounds pretty spot on. You can always go somewhere else. You can always get another boyfriend, but this feels like a bit of a treasure where you are right now. 
it's it's weird but yeah it does in fact it's funny we they hired someone after me um who used to work there a really long time ago and um she's interesting because she doesn't all of this um technology is really new to her and she is doing exactly what I had to do, which is just diving in and trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with the mental health uh, portal for the, st- for the state of Missouri, which is antiquated, and trying to figure out how to, our boss wants us to get the training from their website. And I've been struggling with that. Um, I'm going to struggle again with it next week and start pulling some of that stuff down and see if I can't make it work. Because as it was when I was trying to pull the... Um, the videos down there's no controls so i'm like looking at this this training video that was done five years ago i have no idea how long it is i can't stop or start it there's no way to stop or start it if i turn it off i have to start over from the beginning and i have no idea how long it is Shoot. and they're going on and on and i have no idea what they're talking about they're yeah. like well when the c core does the blah 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 and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about i don't know how this is supposed to help me because i don't know what you're talking about sounds like you need to have some conversations with people yes yes definitely all right thank you for doing prophecy speaks that was awesome that is cool that's cool Next time I'll be prepared and have some books because, you know. <laughs> I often forget. I didn't realize there were so few books by my desk. No, I often forget and I have to go, oh, hang on, I've just got to run and find a book and go in and grab one off the shelf in my bedroom. <laughs> well, I have a bookshelf across the across the, yeah. the way, across the acreage of hardwood floor. It's okay. All right. Well, I'm going to say farewell, my darlings. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for asking me. That was that was a lot of fun. Okay. So, everyone, uh, Bill Garrett and Beyond is back in the first week of September. Woo-hoo. We've got, yes, we've got another couple of um, conversations to have about in this sort of vein of things because, you know, I'm – off summer holidays now and I'm not roasting in my office which is lovely that's the night jeez it's been hot so you froze Mary I don't know if you're saying anything oh sorry that's okay (laughs) (laughs) that's our cue all right darlings I'll see you Oh, well, we'll be in your ears soon. And you can check out Belgariad and Beyond at dot, um, what's the website? Belgariad and Beyond dot goddesskindle.com. See, that's how long it's been since I did a recording. I can't even remember the things. Go there and check it all out. And you can find all of the episodes. We've got two and a half seasons there for you now. So enjoy. And I'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.